Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Future Interview podcast. I'm Barrett Anderson, the COO of Future Interview. And for those of you who have never heard of Future Interview before, we run the annual FIRE conference, which The Economist has called the best technology conference in the world. The other arm of our business, Strategic News Service, provides its subscribers with the most accurate source of information about the future of technology and the global economy. And I'm here today talking to Mark Anderson, CEO of Strategic News Service, Chair of Future and Review, and author of this week's Strategic News Service Global Report about uh, ChatGPT, hyperchange, and the impact of ChatGPT on society generally moving forward. So Mark, I wanted to start by asking you a question. You know, you wrote this week about all of these kind of different factors and technological inventions that have had unintended consequences mm-hmm. to date before the release of ChatGPT. And I'm wondering if you could walk us through just a few of those to help give people an idea of how you think hyperchange is shaping society already or beginning to. Yeah, Barrett, I gave a, quite a few examples, I think nine, nine examples in this issue. And um you could have done 200 of them. It wasn't very hard to pick them. And I, I almost found myself getting a little discouraged as I did this because they were so easy to pick, you know? And maybe it's fair to say that human beings are much better at the initial invention, no matter what it is, mm-hmm. than ever understanding what the subsequent and unintended consequences of those inventions will be. I think it's almost fair to say that in general, we don't, you know? Yeah. It's not a one-off where we did every time except for once. It's it's really the we're, other way. We're, we're generally just terrible at it, I think. Yeah, you know? we generally can't do that. Which is part of you know, it's that's why that's why Future and Review exists. That's why Strategic News Service exists, right? Because yeah. we are trying a big part. A big part of what we're trying to do is help people understand yes. the future and what will come and anticipating. Yes. Them. That's right. So um, I can I can you know kind of tag a few of these maybe my favorites from uh, from the list, but uh, I'll just say again, I, I believe it's a natural, almost maybe unavoidable aspect of innovation. So um, one good reason to discuss hyperchange is that it's, it appears to me now, having written two issues on this, that it's actually with us all the time. And therefore, it's something we have to be ever vigilant about. Um, and, and when we come back to GPT, that'll just be the more obvious reason, you know, example. So um, my favorite one is jet lag. And it's because I'm a trained biologist, right? So um, I think human beings think about jet lag as an inconvenience. You know, you take a little of this, a little of that, and you sleep better, and then you get off the airplane and you're grumpy for two days. But um, they don't know the science usually of it. There are a lot of people who are studying the science of circadian rhythms. So we actually do know quite a bit about it. Including and, our very own fire yes. for twenty twenty three, Benjamin Smarr. That's right. Studying, so done quite a lot of research on circadian rhythms and their impacts on health outcomes. Yep. Benji, as we call him, has looked at uh, minute by minute uh, changes in the body of mammals. Very, very interesting to see just within one twenty four hour cycle. Um, in this case, what happens when you jump on a plane, fly to Paris, and then come back, which you've done recently, and um, Please tell me the impact on my body. Tell me what happened to me. So here's the bad news, honey. Uh, uh, now, this is not work that was done on humans, but work has been done on humans. Very interesting work. 
um, both on, on jet lag and on, for instance, shifting night work cycles and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, huge things, to, huge p- uh, prices to pay in health. So I, I won't go into it, but if you look at the incidence of various problems like heart attacks and, and so on, um, you can get yourself into a world of problems without knowing it by messing with your day-night cycle uh, regularly. Now, the other thing is, um, even in studies on other mammals, um, one thing that struck me was, so you can derange some poor young, uh, like a ground squirrel, uh, take a bunch of them and have a control group. And then, you know, for one month, you mess them up. You change the day and night, change, change, change. And after a month, they're pretty messed up. They're not on a cycle anymore. And then you put them right back into the normal day night. And the question would be, well, how long does it take them to actually recapture their temperature regularity, which is how you measure it? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, it can take a year and a half. Whoa. Is that sensitive to the to the timing, the duration of the of the disruption? After a month of messing with them, and then they put it, you put them right into a regular day-night cycle, you put them outside, or what do you want to do? It could take them up to a year and a half to reclaim their normal cycles. Think of all these little clocks inside of our bodies, because there's more than one. And 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 they're supposed to be in sync. And the, the temperature is just one way of measuring that. But right. they work in sync to have an, a well-oiled machine going on there. But it might take a year and a half to get that back. So the efficiency of your biology is whacked out for a while. The other thing which is yet more interesting is in, in one experiment, very similar, um, they, they did the same kind of thing. And then they measured um, other effects. And they found out that the life uh, extension or uh, abrupt ending. The extension? Yeah. No, not the extension. Uh, those who had been messed up um, cut their life uh, by about half. So um, literally, if you were a young mammal or a small mammal, maybe that could happen to you that if you got your cycles deranged badly somehow, uh, that you would live half as long. So again, I don't think there's a lot of measurement going on here. Maybe there is, but I don't think we civilians think about this stuff. We jump on a flight to Paris. Or choose to work a night shift. or Choose to work a night shift or go back and forth from night to day. Yeah. So jet lag. And the thing that's fascinating scientifically about this is that most things we do, you know, you miss some sleep, but you're still on the same cycle. Or you work really hard and you get, your muscles get achy or or you eat the wrong foods and you're going to get sick. Most of the things that we do to ourselves, we're trained, we're evolutionarily trained to deal with. Our bodies, our cells have had millions of years, if not more to get ready for, oh, when that happens, here's what we're going to do. But there's never been, ever been anything in history, going back to the beginning of the planet, that was like jet lag. So there's no engine in any cell that has any training or any system whatsoever to deal with jet lag. So what does jet lag have in in common with ChatGPT? Oh, I would say nothing. Other than, other than, you know, I mean, well, I think where we're going with this is it's it's an unprecedented cycle of change. Yeah. We've never been able to move around the world so quickly before any time in our evolutionary history. And yes. for we are just beginning to understand the impact of jet lag on the human. Yeah. Brain. I, I wish I were more impressed with GPT. I'm not, actually. 
So I don't. I think jet lag is actually more profound than GPT is. But to to kind of join in the current chorus of oh gee whiz, um, when I see GPT, I see an advanced Watson scaled up. Watson was a reader. GPT is a bigger reader with a little more a little more spice to it, reinforcement learning, but basically a larger language model. So you know that's boring, but it's really exciting for human beings because they can talk to it. You couldn't really talk to Watson. Now you can talk to it. Um, but it is certainly true that there were unintended consequences in both cases. And that's frightening. So while it's maybe it is frightening to lose, you know, let's say if you're a pilot for um, United Air, maybe you lose a couple of years off your life by flying international, probably. But okay, that happened. Yeah. But with GPT and all of society, now we're getting serious here. And, you know, if the worst case scenarios play out or even the, the middle kind of somewhat bad scenarios play out, we already see huge problems where people are committing suicide and, and people are suing for, you know, malpractice or statements that were untrue about their reputations and all kinds of things like this are going to happen, including the potential for war, I think. I mean, there are very large-scale disruptions in society that could happen because of GPT's failures. Not because it's so great, because it's so not great. It's so right. bad. Right. So built for failure. It's built to fail. Yeah. So um, at, that's, at that point, it's worse than jet lag, obviously. So when you write about hyperchange, you know, you're you're writing about this kind of new era that we're entering into. And you write about, you know, in your newsletter this week, you've you've included a couple, you know, jet lag is just one the yes. first factor, right? In, in this long list of things that are affecting us yes. in new ways, you know, including the internet misinformation. Um there there are others. But how does this all fit into the era of hyperchange? Right. What is the sum of all of these things coming together? Um, so in each case, they were, as we've just discussed, an example where something was invented or done, which I think people thought would have a beneficial effect, but they didn't foresee the unintended consequences, which were not necessarily beneficial. They might have been bad. Right. And so um, the, dif the difference with hyperchange is maybe in the past you got locomotives, but it took a generation to deal with that. Now we're getting locomotives every week, and and how you know, how do how does the human nature how how does our brain how does our social brain how does our political brain deal with this how do our societies deal with this when it when the speed uh, which already was beyond us in the industrial revolution now it's so far beyond us every day how do how do we cope with that you know. I think that's something that we're not coping with very well. And by coping, I, I mean partly just our own mental health. Right. Um, but I also mean really coping. Maybe we shut something down. Um, how do we deal with shutting it down? How do you stop stuff? We don't know how to stop stuff. We only know how to start it. It's a little, it's a little bit dicey on the stopping part. I mean, let's talk about the stopping part. Because clearly there's been this letter um, with signatories from some SNS members, including Elon Musk and Gary Marcus, 
Uh, I'm curious what your perspective is on that, because, you know, we've talked about this a bit earlier this week. It's one thing to call for a moratorium on something, but there's no incentive for any of the companies that are developing. None of the CEOs of the companies making money have signed that letter. Right. And there, and so, so what, what do we do? Let me expand your question. Let's say that in a perfect world, uh, the United States, one of the most civilized countries and hopefully responsible countries, and the EU would be in the same kind of place, um, made that decision. Do you think in your most dreamy moments that China would do that? Yeah. So I think that the argument would be made somewhere in the halls of the Congress that our stopping as a civilized nation would not keep China from bullying ahead. And if that's true, then the question is, can we afford not to keep going ahead ourselves? It's very easy to, if you're of a mind, consider the future of war here, and you know exactly where that's going. Right. I mean, it's a very similar story to what happened in the United States with genetic augmentation, right? We decided to put a moratorium on biological development by the way no south korea and china are both doing it shipped all of our biological weapons development to china yeah Yeah, and they released covid thank you so yeah i I think we have to make that calculation um how dangerous are these things and if they're the next atom bomb and we're not making one can we afford not to protect our own people that way so it's very hard to stop these things. You know, I think there are people who may be correct who say you just can't keep the genie in the bottle. Technically, scientifically, you can't stop things. You can go faster, but you can't stop them. So that, I you know, don't mean to be gloomy here, but I think that may be a true, a true thing. So if we can't or should not stop the deployment of generative artificial intelligence, uh, or at least its proliferation throughout global society. What is, what else can we do? Well, luckily there is an answer, a happy answer for this. The, the fault, the deep, deep, obvious anger making fault in this product that was improperly shipped by you know who. Um, is that it cannot tell the difference between what is true and what is false. And everyone that I respect who's written about this, whether it's Elon and, and Gary in their letter, or whether it's um, um, Eric Schmidt uh, and Henry Kissinger, um, I respect Eric more, but um, you know what they're saying, they're all saying the same thing. And they're saying we need to have, and you can use one of two words, in, interpretability or explainability to overcome this fail. Mm-hmm. And I, I get the impression from what they've said recently that they are not yet aware that, in fact, this exists already. Um, we have not applied it to GPT, but Pattern Computer, where I work, has had it for four years. So we have been applying it for four years to customers and, and in, in doing really wonderful discoveries, you know, like cancer treatments. So. Um, it's real. It's doable. I heard Ezra Klein uh, in a recent podcast on a hard fork. He was saying, well, 
maybe it'll never happen. Maybe it will be. He thinks it could be discovered. Well, Ezra, I'm here to tell you it already has been. So, um, yeah, that's an exciting thing because once you know you could have a system which only delivered truth to you, forget about China because you would never want to have a system that delivered both truth and falsehoods. Well, you might if you if you were using. If you wanted to ship it to your enemy. Yeah. But it, not for yourself. They wouldn't allow it in the Pentagon. They'd only allow it in the other Pentagon. You know. So, yeah, I think that's the answer is help people to understand that there is a next step beyond shipping flawed products. That's all that happened just now. Early shipment of flawed products. Okay, stop it. Maybe that's the solution while, you know, while we keep moving. It's not that you can stop AI in its tracks, but you sure can make it go better. You know, do yeah, better. I, mean, I, could, I could see two, two aspects, and I think they're kind of mutually... They're not they're not mutually exclusive, but one would be for the US to create some kind of standards, safety standards for tech products, right? Yeah. Where similar to the FDA, yes. which we do not have yet for the technological world. Yes. Create an agency that creates standards for products where they need to prove that they are what they're outputting is not tr- misleading or deceptive. Yes, that's right. Knowingly. Say knowingly. knowingly. And- and and maybe what what scale, at what scale you know and then, and in order to do that you would need explainable AI, right? So it's True. the and that's well, no. the kind of mathematical. Even without explainable AI, you could make it illegal to ship things which which can um, kill people, and you knew it. Don't do that. Do not do that. It's like Foundation Series, you know. Just don't let robots kill people. Stop mm-hmm. it. Just make it illegal. And if you ship that, and you knew it could do that, you're going to be in a world of hurt. That should be true anyway. And then, by the way, you have an alternative now. You could ship things using explainability, and it just doesn't come up because all that comes out of that machine or those machines are truths. They may be the truths you're looking for or something that surprises you, but they're all true. So if you are a company right now who's thinking about using generative AI or using generative AI in some capacity, how would you go about what is the best way for for them to reach out to pattern or to employ explainable AI? Like for, for anyone who's watching who wants to use explainable AI, knowing that it now that it exists and is possible, how would they get in touch with you? What what kind of offerings do you have that would allow for more kind of like public uptake of this product? So we're easy to find. Um, I'm Mark, M-A-R-K at patterncomputer.com. They can write me a note. Um, we have a website, and they can go to the website and check things out, see demonstrations, um, get involved. And then uh, my hope would be, uh, we don't have to be the only guys on the planet that have this, but right now we're told that we are by Berkeley Lab. So our job right now is a little bit evangelical. We need to get the word out and get this into the right hands as soon as we can. And we're trying to get that done. And all right, so so... Final question. I, I want to just, you know, part of the things, part of what we're seeing with the gener, like the negative effects that we're already beginning to see with generative AI. Why would people want to employ this? Number one, you and I talked this week about there was an older product, pre, almost pre-generative AI, uh, that encouraged a man in the UK to kill himself, and he did, and his widow is now suing that company, I believe. 
Um, but what are the other kinds of implications that you are starting to see or that you're worried about in, in this space? I, I, my personal feeling is that I believe we now know enough of the history of, of the releases of these GPT products to know that everyone in each of the companies involved knew that they were dangerous. And many of the employees quit or were fired or transferred into a different apartment who were involved in, in, in saying, don't ship it. Right. As so, in the case of Microsoft, right? They dissolved their AI and ethics. Google and Microsoft and OpenAI. Everybody involved. Yeah. So um, there, um, there are statements that it's going to be okay in the morning because we're going to have you, you people as guinea pigs and you'll help us build guardrails. That's an untrue statement in my opinion. It can make things better, but not safe. Mm -hmm. It'll never be a moment where we won't know that that GPT bot won't come back with something unexpected that no guardrails existed for that was going to cause the next piece of damage. There'll never be that day, I don't think. You know, as far as the, those tools themselves are concerned, because A, they're neural networks, so they have a black box problem. We don't know how they do what they do, unless we put explainability on there. And, and B, that's the nature of the beast. They don't think. You know, they just do longer and longer sentence context. So they seem more and more human, but they're not more and more right. Right. And or protected against failure. So um, I, able I just feel that that, that technology was flawed. Able to make what we would consider ethical decisions. Don't ship stuff that you know is going to kill people or make them kill themselves. Don't do that. I don't know. That sounds often off idealistic, but there was so much foreknowledge here. It's hard not to be critical. It would be different if no one knew, but they all knew. So this is an opportunity maybe for society in every country, because I don't even think China wants to have people doing that. You know, I think for every country to say, we, we do need some guardrails. It's just not the ones you were thinking of. You shouldn't be shipping this. Don't put it out to the guinea pigs and let them die. You should. You knew, and you shouldn't have been shipping this until you could get over that road bump. And if you couldn't, then you're never going to ship it. How about that? <laughs> that happened for years. They didn't ship it. People over and over again, you know, version one, two, three, because they all felt like it's not ready for prime time yet, meaning too dangerous. And so, you know, that was wise. And maybe that wisdom should be somehow enshrined in international law somehow. If you're going to ship a product in the world of AI, to the best of your knowledge, it cannot have that level of danger and risk to society. It'd be hard to define what that means, but certainly you'd use life and death situations to do it. That would be a good starting point. It would be a good starting point. <laughs> you could add some frills later. Yeah. So I would do that. I would try to get that thing and the pause is, is a nice idea, but I don't think it works for everybody. But maybe having a conversation with or without the pause of the type you and I are having right now would be very productive. Because it would be hard for a nation to say it didn't agree. You know, tell me, France, you know, why don't you jump on board here or Germany or 
or Russia or China? What is it that you love about failure, you know, and danger? Why is that good for you? And they'd probably have a hard time explaining that. All right. Well, thank you, Mark. Yeah, thank you. If you would like like to read Mark's full report, you'll find that at stratnews.com. We'll link it below this video. And in the meantime, stay safe out there, everybody. Don't take any uh, advice from ChatGPT. That's right. Don't fall in love with a robot and consider (laughs) whatever. No personal life advice. (laughs) Yep, that's right. Listen to your parents. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Spirit. Thank you. Bye.